The finish line is mercifully in sight now. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and of course, Jeremy's work appears at houstonchronicle.com and expressnews.com. Jeremy, I've been spending the morning here on Friday as we record, and, and I know people will be thrilled that the podcast is dropping on Friday instead of Saturday. I had so many complaints last week. Why? Oh, I can't be without the Texas Take on on Friday night. And and look, people listen to the show in lots of different ways and times and settings. People either, if they're depressed about politics, they, they drink during the show on Friday night. I know that for a fact. We can see what you do in the analytics, by the way. Um, other people who are a little more peppy, they might do their workout or they go for their run around the lake, you know, on Saturday or Sunday and they listen to the show in their earbuds. And there's other people who don't even listen, don't even bother to look at it uh, on their app, the podcast app, whichever one they use. A lot of people don't even look until Monday and then they listen to it. So don't be a whiner. Don't be a complainer. I thought people would thank us for working on a Saturday. That's not exactly the way it played out. There were mixed results. So anyway, here we are on Friday, and I've spent a lot of Friday morning thinking about this question. What could I possibly say about this election that I have not already said? I came up with a few things, but I cannot guarantee you that they'll be that interesting, Jeremy. How about you? Yeah, I feel like we've been, you know... At, you know, talking about this for two years at this point, you know, when you think about that first time Beto kicked out the idea he might run for governor, we basically have been talking mm -hmm. about this for almost two solid years at this yeah, point. Yeah, about so. this race. Yeah, right. And I've got plenty to say about other issues. We'll get to that. But the top of mind thing right now here in the closing days of the campaign is the race for governor. So let's check on these guys. I saw that you were keeping up with all of their events all over the place, and you've got Abbott in places like San Antonio and Deep East Texas. Uh, Beto, of course, is going to spend election night in El Paso. Where was he this week? I know that he was on the road like always. Yeah, it's hard to track these guys right now. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I have not cloned myself, so I can't actually be at both locations at the same time. But at one point we had, you know, you know, Beto up in Dallas. He was in El Paso. He was down in Laredo. Mm -hmm. You know, Abbott was up in Texarkana and Waco. And, you know, now he's out west. So it's just, it's these guys are everywhere right now trying to get that vote tally up. Yeah, and uh, that has not gone that well so far. We'll get into the numbers in just a little bit. Uh, Governor Abbott was rallying his troops in San Antonio. So it's hard to hear what he was saying. Bottom line is he can get a, a crowd fired up just like Beto can. You, you've seen this at a few of these rallies now, Jeremy. Beto's uh, arguments and Abbott's arguments a little bit different as we reach the finish line here. What do you think that Abbott would like to talk about? Uh, the first the first issue that he would go with, Jeremy. It's the economy, man. It's all about jobs. This guy just mm -hmm. keeps everywhere he shows up. He's like, hey. You guys got jobs. Don't you want to vote for me? <laughs> Which right. is not a bad pitch when you're going down the stretch. Yeah, right. That and immigration. We are doing everything we possibly can to prevent people from coming across the border into the state of Texas. There's only been one government official in the United States of America who has negotiated with and talked with Mexican officials about the border. And that's me. For a second, I thought he was going to say it was someone else. No, it, it it's 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 Abbott who's been working on immigration. He he's been going after those uh, immigrants, hammer and tong. He 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 is on this uh, every day of the week, 
365. He wants you to know that Biden isn't doing his job on the border, and so he has to get in there and do it himself. Now, what do you think Beto's closing argument has to do with? What's it centered on, Jeremy? And I'm talking about his paid advertising at this point. Well, I, I, what he has to show people is that you know Abbott hasn't managed the state well, and we mm-hmm. need to change. So it's like he's been trying to kind of focus, at least in his speeches. I've been hearing him talking about Abbott's too extreme; he's gone too mm-hmm. far. We need to kind of get back to what we need, you know, in Texas. Yeah. So that takes in a range of issues, uh, and you saw one television ad which we featured here on the show last week that uh, showed Beto listing off the different issues that he thinks the governor has done a bad job on. Uh, one of the ads that he put out this past week um, features a couple who went through a miscarriage, and uh, they talk about in the ad how the doctors were not able to help them because of an anti-abortion law that was signed by Abbott. I was 18 weeks pregnant when I went for a walk and I knew something felt off. My water broke. We went in and found out we were going to have a miscarriage. I had received a message from my doctor that said there's nothing we can do because the laws in Texas prohibit us. Amanda started showing signs of fever coming on. I became so sick that I developed sepsis. It was a direct result of the restrictive anti-abortion laws in Texas. I should not have to stand by my dying wife while Greg Abbott does nothing. How is this pro-life if I have to wait to get so sick that I almost die and I might not be able to have children in the future? So Beto is pushing in on issues like the abortion ban in Texas, uh, on issues like the grid uh, and uh, school shootings, things that have been in a lot of ways have been uh, tragic situations across these different issues. Things that he says in in, in one of the ads, Jeremy, uh, Beto says, look, I don't think that Abbott wants to screw this stuff up or wants for these bad things to happen. It's just that these bad things keep happening on his watch and he hasn't been able to fix them. So he's not questioning, at least uh, on a lot of these issues, he's not questioning the motives of Abbott. He's questioning his fitness for office. And of course, as has been said over and over again by myself and by you, and I think it's the number one uh, rule uh, of my publisher, Harvey Kronberg at quorumreport.com, the number one rule of campaigns is that incumbents don't get beaten, they get fired. And so Abbott is, uh, you know, there uh, being uh, you know, criticized by Beto for all these uh, reasons that Beto says that he ought to be fired, that he ought to lose his job. But as you have pointed out, beating an incumbent governor of either party in this country, not just in Texas, but all over the place, it's real tough, right? The success rate for uh, a governor to be reelected is really high. And I know that you're going to be watching several things on election night as the returns start to roll in. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and just to kind of hit on that, it's funny, if you go back to the debate, uh, both Abbott and, you know, Beto were able to kind of, you know, basically telegraph where they were going with this campaign. You know, you heard it like in, you know, Beto's case, he ended up saying, look, you know, Greg Abbott doesn't mean to do this stuff, but he's gone too far. And Abbott saying, you got jobs, you know, vote for me. That's why it's so hard to beat him, right? You know, it's like in a bad economy, you almost think Beto work has a better shot, you know, but in this case, it's, you know, it's just going to be a harder, you know, sell. But what he needs out of, you know, one of the counties, obviously you can't look at Texas politics without looking at Harris County at this point, Mm -hmm. but Beto O'Rourke needs basically a 200,000 vote victory just coming out of Harris County. It's possible. He did it in 2018. 
but that's a county that Republicans, you know, Greg Abbott actually won Harris County in 2014. People probably mm-hmm. can't even remember that. But but yes, you know, I, you know, so if O'Rourke isn't up 200,000 coming out of Harris County, man, the math gets really hard around the rest of the state. Like yeah. he's going to have to really kind of work it. And, and people have probably heard me talk about that blue spine at nauseum, but that stretch of, you know, I-35 from Laredo up into the, you know, the, the Metroplex, mm-hmm. that region, like, again, that's where like Democrats have been gaining every year, you know, each election cycle. And like, there's another case where like, that's where like Beto has to get 450 to 500,000 vote margin over mm-hmm. Abbott there because that's what we've seen in both with Trump with Biden and with Beto in you know, 2018 so watch you know, Williamson and Hayes County those two are going to be really super interesting to watch those are counties that Abbott carried in 2014 but Beto actually carried both of them in 2018 so where do those those guys go now it's like I'm really kind of interested to see kind of you know what this mood is we'll get some really good definitive answers as to like mm-hmm. has Williamson County and Hayes County completely broken for Democrats or is it still a place where Republicans can pull those places back in and affect their overall you know blue spine ultimately which would then you know again it's a huge backstop for Democrats if they can get a big number out of there yeah, you know, the Republicans have been working on trying to boost numbers in rural areas. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick has been uh, on his bus tour trying to encourage people in small towns and counties to get out and vote. Um, Patrick has said that he thinks that he and Abbott are going to win, although Patrick took some issue with the idea that this is going to be some big blowout for Republicans. He said it's not a double digit race. He thinks it's going to be more like a five to six to seven point race for Abbott and for himself. Um, I would question, and this goes to a point we made on a previous show. I would question this. If if Patrick really thinks that, why does he still have $18 million in the bank? Why isn't he spending that down? That's just one question I have. Um, Number two, look at this, and this should probably be number one. Look at the turnout all across the state, whether it is in rural areas or in the big places you're talking about in Harris County or Dallas County. And why is it People just aren't voting in the numbers that a lot of people expected. Remember, Dave Carney said, and Carney, of course, is the chief consultant for Abbott. He had said that he thought turnout might be around 10 million. I'm not saying that we can't get there, but it's questionable, you know, given where we are here on the last day of early voting on Friday. One more day to vote uh, on Tuesday on the 8th. Um, and where are we now around? We're over four million at this point, right? Four, four yeah, and a half, we're, maybe. We're about four, four point seven, four point eight. you know. Right. So, so it makes right. So it makes me think that we probably won't get to ten. Uh, I'm not saying that that can't happen, but probably not. We would have to have a giant turnout on this final day of early voting and on uh, on election day. And of course, we're just not seeing that uh, just yet. Um, why are people not voting in these big numbers that a lot of people had expected? There was so much hype around this election. People, uh, you know, so amped up about various issues, whether it's uh, the economy, immigration, uh, abortion rights gun violence and all the rest. I'm probably leaving leaving some important things out. Um, why aren't they? Well, in talking with some campaigns, uh, down ballot campaigns, Jeremy, a few things come into focus. One, I was talking to a legislator in Dallas County who pointed out that they're down about 100,000 votes from four years ago in Dallas County, which of course is a big democratic area. When they block walk, when they go talk to voters, when they're in neighborhoods and they're you know knocking on the doors and talking to folks, This is anecdotal, but it tells you a lot. There are a lot of voters who are saying that they are disgusted with politics. They are they're mad at everybody on both sides that they don't like either the Democrats or the Republicans who are running. 
They're mad at them. And so they're just not going to participate. They're disgusted by it. They're turned off by it. And so they're pulling back and not participating. If you wanted to take an optimist view, you would have thought that if people were disgusted by politics, that would get them to go vote, right? That they would think, hey, I need to help make a change here if I don't like it. But we're just not seeing that all across the state. So that's one thing. And then you have pointed out that in previous elections, and I'm talking about the last couple of cycles in 18 and in 20, there was a lot more Democratic money and infrastructure uh, building happening in down ballot races, right? In congressional races and in some of these races for the state legislature. Yeah, you just look at a place like Houston and Harris County, like all those congressional races we had in 2018, uh, there was a good three or four races there that were just really intense, lots of money coming in. And so you had millions of dollars in television helping drive turnout, you know, you know, and that was going on around the state. That was actually the Democratic strategy in 2018, which I thought was kind of brilliant at the time. It's like instead of having just it all rest on the shoulders of the top of the ticket, have yeah. like basically 27 to 30 you know, other congressional races that are competitive enough that they're helping get the turnout. Plus, then you have a statewide. In this case, we don't we just don't have that. You know, it's like if you saw an ad in Houston for a congressional race, you know, you're in a minority at this point. Not many people have seen that. But, you know, it's like, so what, what does that mean? It all comes down to that governor's race. There's nothing else to pick from really to kind of get people out to the polls, at least not yeah. the money that you need to put it behind to get people to come out to vote. You know, no, I'm not saying the, the, the other races aren't important, like school board races, all that stuff is great. Mm -hmm. But that stuff is not what's going to turn people out ultimately. And in the end, it has to be excitement around that governor's race and love them or hate them. Beto and Greg have been around for a while. Right. <laughs> it's like they're, they're, they're everybody kind of knows the deal at this point. And so it's kind of hard to kind of get charged up about this, you know, the new boss who's the old boss, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the same guy over and over again. So. And also you have a record turnout in other states where there is national investment uh, because yep. of the balance of power in Washington. Somebody asked me earlier this week, why is it that in Georgia and Pennsylvania and Nevada and Arizona, you have all this excitement and higher turnout percentage wise than what you're seeing in Texas? It's because of that, right? It could be the Senate races in any of those places could determine who's in charge of this country, right? And so you said, wow, I, watch, I couldn't believe this, Jeremy. I hadn't seen this. I don't think I've seen this before ever. Um, during one of the World Series games, did you see that John Fetterman, yeah. the Democrat running for US Senate in Pennsylvania, bought an ad on the network? It went out all over the whole country, which yeah. I, I was trying to figure out how much that would cost. I looked up uh, from two years ago, World Series number, uh, probably somewhere between for 30 seconds during the World Series, Three hundred and seventy-five thousand to four hundred thousand could be could be a five hundred thousand dollar ad that we just saw, which was immediately kind of forgettable. The only thing I remembered about what he said was that Doc Oz doesn't really live in Pennsylvania; he's from New Jersey. It was basically a collection of all his talking points, um, you know, for the whole campaign jammed into thirty seconds. Uh, but that tells you the kind of investment that's being made in other places that is not happening in Texas. So if we have lower turnout here. That's part of it. There's not it's not just because of excitement or, uh, you know, or lack of excitement about various candidates. It's also about the fact that the parties are spending big time in those other places. 
Yeah, it's a double barrel effect in those states. All the states you just mentioned have a hot Senate race and a hot governor's race. We have no Senate rate this time around. We're at that weird part of the cycle where, like, because Senate terms are six year cycles, uh, they end up like there's always one election cycle that there's no Senate candidate on there. So we have no Senate candidate on there. Those other states do. And it's funny, you you mentioned the Fetterman ad you saw during the World Series. I had uh, ESPN on one night watching uh, BYU. I must have been, you know, football. I mm-hmm. may have been on a uh, Saturday night uh, and on the they had Mike Lee show uh, commercials on for the U.S. Senate, you know, again, on national television, you know, yeah. because BYU and they're thinking maybe they can get more votes on. So it's like it's interesting mm-hmm. how desperate candidates kind of get towards the end where they're just trying to get every vote, even if it costs them 10 times <laughs> the going rate that they would normally spend. My thought on why that went out across the whole network was was two two things. One is there is a obviously a Pennsylvania team in the World Series, and so the Fetterman campaign is hoping that across markets across the whole state that people will see the ad no matter what, right? No, no matter yeah. whether they're in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, any of the little towns in between, um, and the other being fundraising. Right. This is you can also, uh, you know, point to the fact that, yeah, hey, the campaign is basically over. So why would he need more fundraising? There's always the question of retiring campaign debt. So they will. So they'll try to do that as well. Yeah. And they need money to the very bitter end. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we saw that, you know, it's like back a couple of years ago, Fetterman actually was doing campaign and fundraising stuff here in Texas. You know, he he joined on some live streams with the Texas Democrats. He was, you know, helping Joe Biden during his campaign. So we saw him show up, you know, at weird moments, you know, even in Texas, you know, trying to build fundraising. So you can see like, look, it's just a, it's a 24 seven, you know, life as a politician. Now you're always having to raise money. And so, yeah, I totally with you. I can see those ads being a great way to, you know, drop a fundraising card on people in Austin, Texas to send right. us some money. Since you don't have a Senate race going on, send us some money. Don't send it to Beto. He has enough. You know, we need more. <laughs> right. Um, last week, uh, I got a little emotional about the idea that we still haven't heard and seen a lot of the evidence from the shooting in Uvalde, a lot of it being withheld. And I want to give credit to our uh, colleagues in media, both at the state and national level. Some of these folks have been bulldogs on this, trying to get this information from the police, get this information from local and state governments, uh, which have been withholding a lot of it. Uh, And I saw where ProPublica was able to get some of it and CNN as well. Uh, They uncovered, unearthed some of the 911 calls from that day when all those kids were shot. And last week we were talking about um, what it probably must have sounded like as the shooting was actually happening when the gunman walked into the classroom. Uh, This is not that, but this is part of what was unfolding in real time as those officers were standing in the hallway, Jeremy, for for whatever it was, 77 minutes. And this was, um, again, uh, obtained by CNN. This is a little girl who was calling for help. And you can hear it's it's amazing to hear her composure given what's happening and what you're going to hear her say and you might have to turn up the audio you might have to turn up your volume a little bit to hear her uh, in your earbuds or on your speaker however you're listening to your listener um it's hard to listen to uh this is not screaming i'll say that it's 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 not as hard as that i would say in my estimation this is not as hard to listen to as that screaming would be right but it's still 
tough stuff. So I want you to hear this uh, call uh, to the Uvalde County 911. Hello. I'm calling with a school shooting. Okay, yes, ma'am. I have a school unit there. Are you with officers or are you Please send help. And of course, we know that it didn't come for a long time, Jeremy. And some of the reporting this week has uh, sh- you know, shown a little more light on why the help didn't get into the classroom faster. There was some reporting to the effect of the uh, of the of the fact that uh, you had dispatchers and police not communicating effectively. You had um, an understanding among some of the people who were on the scene that the classroom had already been entered by police when it hadn't, right? And and, and that the, the kids, as you said last week, were still either dead or bleeding inside while police were right outside in the hallway uh, and while this continued to unfold. Um, I just still cannot imagine that this whole situation wouldn't be better if we all knew more about exactly what happened there. And I was talking to, and I, and I saw... Um, where uh, some uh, officials, uh, State Senator Roland Gutierrez and others have continued to push for more answers on this. So I had seen where some people were ma- basically making that case that we really need to know everything that happened. And you get a sense at some point that you're just never going to. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I can't emphasize enough. There's There were 376 police there. As like I, I, When that call comes in, whoever the dispatcher relayed that call to there's 376, you know, men and women in uniform and and nothing happened. It's like, that's mm-hmm. what's crazy. They know that call's there. And yet, you know, you know, people are blaming the radios. People are blaming, you know, the school police chief. People are blaming DPS. It's like, but ultimately it's like, you're hoping that law enforcement will kind of get this all together and just tell us what happened. And I'm afraid we have to wait for that federal you know, remember, the Department of Justice is going to do mm-hmm. an overview of it, uh, not trying to point blame or make criminal charges, but they're supposed right. to be kind of adding all these pieces together to tell us how did we screw this up so badly? Like how, you know, the door wasn't locked, we find out, and there's 376 police and that child, you know, she's making that call. And it's like, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I'm not sure if we're ever going to understand it. And I'm just hoping the feds have somebody who can get the politics at least out of this enough, mm-hmm. you know, so where like people aren't trying to cover their butt for different agencies. Cause right. if DPS is leading the charge at this point, I'm not sure if any of us trust it right now. It's like, cause DPS had 91 officers there and it's like, and they know that call came in and they still didn't do anything. It's like, so I don't know. I just don't get it. We'll, uh, we'll stay on it. And, uh, and I would say, um, you know, that, Everybody who's working really hard to continue to uncover that stuff, keep doing what you're doing. We're right there with you. Um, it's going to be a long night on election night, uh, particularly in Houston, which should not surprise anyone. In, in Harris County, it always takes a while to count the votes. And this has been bipartisan. 
right? If you go back to Stan Stannert when he was there doing helping with the vote counting and now under the administration of uh, – and he was Republican, uh, Democratic uh, County Judge Lena Hidalgo under her administration. It just takes some time to count the votes in Houston. Um, Jason Whiteley on WFAA in Dallas asked Secretary of State John Scott about sending elections inspectors to Houston, which, of course, is something that we had reported first uh, at quorumreport.com. What specifically are you looking for in Harris County? Sure. So election inspectors, and I appreciate, Jason, you asking that question. Inspectors are a normal part of our election process. They have been going to locations throughout the state all the time. They look for everything from accessibility. That's the first thing on their list. They actually have a uh, a, a checklist, and uh, which I'd love to be able to provide to you and would hope that you would be able to share it, at least a link to it on your website. Um, but it, 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 to have people understand, they're out there looking to make sure that a location is wheelchair accessible, that it's a walker accessible, that there's there's not any kind of dangerous situations out there. They're out there to find out if they observe whether poll watchers are obeying the rules. Uh, they look to see that the processes of signing off on chain of custody documents, whether those are being done at the local precinct level. And so all those things on this checklist, which is really long, um, are done. And they're done by state inspectors, all of whom were employees of the state of Texas. The new elections administrator in Houston, Cliff Tatum, explained his approach. He says it's more important to get it right than it is to get it fast. We do have the latest equipment from the vendor and, and we're comfortable and confident that that machine, that that, that equipment will, will tabulate properly. Part of our strategy is to ensure that we're, we're exercising quality control over the devices that are being read into the system. Uh, once we see that we're able to control those particular devices, then we may actually ramp up to a third third reader so that we're actually processing more results uh, than two at a time. But the, but the strategy, the plan right now is to see how two are going. And if we can move those two along at a, at a rapid clip, we may not need the third one. If we need the third one, then we'd be prepared to move in that direction. You might think that because this has been an ongoing issue in Houston and Harris County, Jeremy, that people might be conditioned to just be understanding that it takes a while to get the results out of Harris County. Here's something that should be uh, it shouldn't be breaking news to anybody that people don't like to wait. And it doesn't matter if they had to wait before. They don't want to wait again. Right. They would like to see an improvement in customer service. And so when you're talking about a county that's so pivotal to the overall election in Texas, it's that much more important that the results are, you know, you know, put out there, published in a in a timely manner. Um, but at the same time, doesn't Tatum have a point that they need to get it right? They need to also be fiscally conservative and not just go buy a whole bunch of more uh, equipment. He didn't say it that way, but I'm saying it that way. He, he's basically saying, hey, we, we're not going to buy more stuff if we don't need it, right? Well, let's, he's, he's saying, let's see how it works. Um, I have put this as a proposal to all the Stop the Steal people for about two years now, and none of them will take me up on it, and they'll all say that I'm crazy, but I will repeat it again. If it's so important to you to not have any mistakes, because look, there are always some mistakes. As Brian Hughes pointed out, the senator from East Texas, um, as he pointed out, there were some instances of voter fraud or errors in elections in Texas, but he could not point to any 
of those that would have changed the outcome of any elections and not even changed the percentages much at all. And we haven't seen any, and even in Houston, where it does often take a long time to get those results, we have not seen evidence of, you know, any sort of widespread voter fraud that would change the outcome of the elections. But I'll still put this proposal to people because they're so concerned that one or two ballots might not have been right, might not have been done right, that there might have been some fraud. Um, up to the point of having activists in Houston ram the truck of an air conditioning repairman looking for fraudulent ballots in the back of the truck and hold the guy at gunpoint, um, accusing him of voter fraud, which turned out to all be bogus. You remember this. This was uh, Dr. Steve Hotze who paid a guy to do that. So there are people who are very concerned about this. So here's my simple proposal. Why not, in places where it takes a while, like in Houston, why not have election day and then two or three days later, you have results day. So we're not up all night wondering what happened. We just know that you know on Thursday or Friday, they're going to tell us what happened. And you could put it in a statute that results day has to be within five days or something, but just give them some buffer so that just like a good brisket, it might take some time, but it's going to be right. It's going to be great. What do you think, Jeremy? Well, uh, and and you've kind of painted kind of the 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 picture of a nightmare scenario on Tuesday night, right? We're going to yes. end up in this situation where it's going to feel like Philadelphia, you know, on in two thousand two or in two thousand twenty, where like President Trump, like you know, is freaking out because now Philadelphia is coming in and the vote's going the other way. We could really be in a situation where you know Beto O'Rourke is down one hundred ninety thousand votes as we're all waiting for Harris County to report. Harris County reports he wins by 191,000 votes, mm -hmm. and he's the next governor of Texas. Suddenly and you it's can a race imagine, you can hear right now the Trump folks saying, see, you know, Harris County stole the election for Beto in the middle of the night. It was 3 a.m. when the results came out. And mm -hmm. so I have no doubt, like, you know, they're like, I, I know enough election supervisors around the country who say, you know, I don't care who wins. I just want it to be a blowout. <laughs> you know, yeah, just right. give me, let's make sure it doesn't come down to two votes, please. Because the last right, we thing don't we want to do is go through all that. So, but we're, we're set up in this situation where if Harris County really is the last one out the door, it's like, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm thinking we should be waiting at least 24 hours till we start feeling a little bit more yeah. certain. I think, so I think mm -hmm. your idea is right. I'm not sure well, if people could wait two whole days, but certainly if you just gave it, okay, 24 hours after voting ends, we'll have a result for you. You know, and for so. every and for every part of the state all at once, you know, this whole idea and because because there's a thing on, on what you're talking about with these uh, with these election conspiracies, what happens is that they will say, oh, look, it looked like Abbott was winning. But then Harris County threw all these extra numbers in there for Beto. They would they would, you know, they would just they'd make it up that there were a bunch of fraudulent ballots that were thrown in there for the Democrats by the Democratic uh, Elections Administrator in Houston. And then you're off to the races and every conspiracy website and people on Twitter are going wild to stop the steal ideas. Um, here, here's something that is completely a media creation and it frustrates the hell out of me on election night when election returns are coming in on Fox. MSNBC, CNN, on all the networks, they each have a guy, and they're all very talented. They each have a guy who stands in front of the magic wall. And in front of the magic wall, that person is John King on CNN, Steve Kornacki on MSNBC, whoever it is on Fox, 
I think it changes on Fox. But anyway, th those two guys I know for sure. They stand there and they point to different counties and they say, here's what's happening in this county. And here's what's happening in these precincts. And here's what's going on here. And they'll be saying all this, Jeremy, as all the votes have already been cast. And what's happening is votes are being counted. Yep. And they'll make comments like this. They'll, they'll say, now, if President Trump can make that up over in this part of the state before the night's over, then he will win this state. Or they'll point down to another state and say, oh, in this part of the country, if Biden can make up that difference here in the suburbs around wherever, around Atlanta, uh, then he will win in Georgia, you know, or whatever it is. And so it, le it lets people think that those candidates in their campaigns can still do something at that moment. They can't. That's all over with. The only thing that they could do, the only thing that they could do is sue later, right? But at that point, they've done all their work. They've done all their get out the vote work. They've done all of their advertising. They've done all of their field operations. That's all over with. It's not as if when Steve Kornacki says that, you know, Trump is behind in these counties, that suddenly Trump's campaign can go do something in those counties. That is done. And so that's why people have this in there. I think that's part of why people have it in their head that if they saw certain results from certain parts of the state that, oh, wow, somebody from Beto's campaign could just call down to Houston and say, hey, can we get some more votes down there? Here's the exact number that we need, which we later found out was exactly what Trump was doing in Georgia <laughs> after the whole election was over with. Yeah, he literally right? asked for the exact number. Can't you just yeah. find me <laughs> 11,781 well, 11, more votes or whatever it was? <laughs> yes, right. So I we don't look. I, I'm just I'm all for smoothing it all out. We'll watch it closely. Yep. But as you said, it's going to be a long night out of Houston. Speaking of Houston, we're all watching the World Series, the uh, the Astros. Now, as we as we record on Friday, they can win in either of the games coming up, right? And and take the World Series, and they're both in Houston. Now we yep. have home field advantage. We're taking it back to Enron Field. <laughs> I was there when they opened it as as Enron Field. I was there when they opened it as that. Of course, now it's the juice box, Minute Maid Park. Did you see Mattress Mac just lose it in Philadelphia? He was not yep. happy uh, when a Phillies fan got in his face, uh, and this went viral uh, on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. Um, Mattress Mac, who, as I pointed out last week, is a legend in Houston. If you're talking about star power, this is the guy. And I think that this incident just cements that. I think people in Houston like him more after this. Okay. And there's some rough language here. Uh, you'll hear Mattress Mac screaming at this Phillies fan, which no one should be unfamiliar with Mattress Mac screaming. It's just that this is obscenities. Right. So he lost it. And this is what that sounded like at the ballpark after the Astros lost one of the games in Philadelphia. Very angry. <laughs> it's completely losing it now. The uh, <laughs> the incident, as I said, went viral. Everybody saw this. And uh, again, people aren't, they're not um, unfamiliar with Mac being energetic, right? But they're not used to him being so angry. On ABC 13 in Houston, Mac was asked, what was it that got him so twisted off at this guy? Well, they, you know, they, they uh, ran out Monday night with stuff on everybody, screwed up everybody's travel plans, and then Tuesday the Astros didn't play well, got beat seven to nothing. I left here, and uh, this uh, inebriated fan in the uh, concourse uh, said, uh, "If you get every one of those effing Astros to take off their 
jersey you see there are buzzers underneath every one of them. And then he said an effing Al Tubi will never make the Hall of Fame because he's the biggest, biggest effing cheater in the history of the game. And that got me quite riled up. I love that when he's saying he was quite riled up is a big smile. It's the big smile that you're used to on Mattress Mac's face. Yeah, but... Mac, you were dropping the F-bomb a lot. I don't like them criticizing our boys, you know. Uh, Al Tubi's a great guy, and uh, us Texans got to take care of each other, and that's what I was looking out for is uh, all of our guys. And don't criticize Jose Al Tubi. He's a good guy and a good player and a better humanitarian. Yeah. Now, I think, to make a somewhat political comment, because Mattress Mac is a factor in, in politics in Houston, for sure. He's in, he's in Alex Mueller's uh, ads right now as he runs for county judge. Yep. This incident might actually help the Republican side because I think that it adds to his political capital. I think if Mac ran for mayor of Houston, he might be successful anyway. But if he ran for mayor now after that, or let's say he was, let's say he was running right now and it was on the ballot on Tuesday, after that incident, he might win 85% of the vote in Houston, Jeremy. Well, yeah. And look, and anybody who's ever been to a Philadelphia sports game, you know, in you know Philadelphia, that's how they talk to each other. That's, that's like right. almost friendly banter, you know, dropping the F-bomb and cursing at each other. That's just how people like hang. Yes. <laughs> you know? And so like, I, if you ask me, Mattress Mac was just speaking the language they understood better in, the, you know, that, that stadium than, you know, maybe in some other places in this country. I think this... <laughs> I think this is still true. The Philly Philly fans and the um, the Eagles fans they're they're rowdy, and yeah. you know I think this is still the case that they actually have a jail cell in the Philadelphia Eagles stadium. Yeah, where they have to you know put people <laughs> put people in there when they get a little out of out of hand. And you can find footage of them of the the Philadelphia fans booing Santa. When like he shows up during a, a Christmas game, you know, just like yeah. they, 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 there's no end <laughs> to how aggressive they are. So yeah, that's the thing. If anybody who went, you know, from Texas to that game up in Philadelphia and came back alive, you know, yeah, right. you get a merit badge for that. It's you're right. It's it's so funny that they get so worked up about that and they're so angry about it. And my experiences in Philadelphia have been wonderful. Where the people are just the friendliest people. Um, they're. They're rough around the edges, and like you said, that's just kind of the way they talk. They're, they're not, they're not necessarily even really angry at you. They'll just say a lot of things to get under your skin because they they like the trash talk, right? But when I, when, <laughs> I, when I've gone to Philadelphia, where my daughter lives, um, it's like everywhere you go, people want to be your best friend. You know, I mean, the people know your name by the time you leave everywhere, and if you go back to the same restaurant or bar or whatever a few days later, they remember your name. Right. And what not from here, I don't know that, but everyone is like that in Philly. City of brotherly love and trash talk. All right. We will watch the Astros this weekend. I've got my fingers crossed. I've got everything crossed for the Astros. This is it. We've got to get this up. It's all this cheater stuff. And here's here's what it really goes to. He's angry because the guy said the Astros are cheaters. Right. That that's what the, the Astros oh, you know, the whole organization has to put up with that after twenty seventeen. Even though everyone knows that every team in baseball steals signs. We were just better at it in Houston. We came up with – here's the thing in Houston. We will find a way. That's the way Houston works. Like for every for everything, not just sports, but for everything. We will find a way. I had to remind somebody this week about the whole trash can banging thing. You can, If you don't get that reference, dear listener, just Google Houston Astros trash cans. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, but it's it's one of those things where they've got to get past this. It's like the movie Moneyball, which I reference often. But do you know 
that the Houston Astros now have such a complete team because the owner, Jim Crane, adopted the philosophy as laid out in that movie, right? This goes back to you know the 15, 16, 17 seasons. And I, I saw a story uh, that was on the NPR website where there was a sports analyst talking about why the Astros are so good. And this is as they were going into the World Series. And this analyst said that they're so good because the team is, quote, complete, close quote. And what he meant by that is that they have such an amazing system in Houston for replenishing their uh, their lineup. If they lose somebody who's great, like Correa, it doesn't matter because there's a guy like Pena coming right along, or Altuve, or, um, or uh, oh, who hit the three, why can't I think of it? Uh, who hit the uh, three-run walk-off homer just the other day? Alvarez. Why can't I think of that? I'm fried. It's the end of the week. Jordan. When, when Jordan hits the home runs, they say, who's your daddy? So all these are newer, the, except for Altuve, all the people I just named are new people, right? Who have come along after other stars left. That's why the Astros are so great is because it's a complete team. It's a, That's why I can't think of the individual stars because the whole team is the star. That's the whole point with the Astros. Yeah, you could... You can never go wrong with a Jeremy as your starting shortstop, you know. I and I think man. Pena is just like he's 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 representing all of us Jeremys who have played shortstop. Yeah, I'm, I was almost as good as him, except for slightly worse. <laughs> that joke is exactly why I'm done with this episode of the show. All right, if you <laughs> if this is your favorite show, how could it not be after that? And I know you don't listen for sports, so forgive me for my rant. Um, are you subscribed? to this show? You should be. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, however you listen to your favorite podcast. Subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, and we will see you next time.